Welcome to episode two of Ethereal Underground. Well, it's going to be another exciting episode. I have a a good friend that's going to be with us for about an hour. We'll be able to pick his brain and get his perspective on just what he thinks is really going on in today's society and his thoughts on the Matrix. His name is A.C. Hemi, and he's sitting right next to me. So, A.C., how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so the viewers know uh, generally where you grew up, kind of what generation are you a part of, just so they get a perspective. Well, I grew up in Southern California, and uh, my formative years predominantly were in the 90s. Southern California, that's still kind of a big area. Is there any particular? I was in the Los Angeles area, okay. not, not in Los Angeles, but that vicinity. And I know there's a, a difference probably between the atmosphere and culture of the L.A. surrounding the area versus San Diego. Yeah, completely. Saying. Okay. Yeah. And then further up north, it's a whole other eco space, you could say. Got it. When I grew up, we had... Kindergarten, but grades one through six. And then I went junior high school, seventh, eighth, ninth. And then they had high school, mm-hmm. 10, 11, and 12. How was your school structured there in Southern California? That was basically the same. I mean, we had preschool, kindergarten, and then first through six. And then we also had the seventh, eighth. But at my particular school, it happened to be all of those classes or all of those uh, grades were at the same school. And then High school, I went to a, a separate school. Okay. And did you have to ride the bus or were you close enough that you walked or rode a bicycle? From my uh, primary school, I was literally a block away. Oh, yeah. That's real close. Yeah. My, my whole school career, I was always stuck having to ride the bus. The bus. <laughs> and and, and some, I remember in, in high school up until a certain age when they allowed you to drive your second semester, mm-hmm. junior year, Correct. but primarily seniors, I think parking lot was limited. So ninth and 10th grade, for example, in junior high and high school, I had to ride the bus. I remember my bus ride those two years was like an hour, 15 minutes one way. Wow. I think being on the other side, have been not taken the bus, you kind of look at it like, oh, I kind of would like to have taken the bus. But then Looking at it from the other perspective, it probably wasn't as exciting as I imagined. Well, I don't know. Riding the bus, in my experience, <laughs> from uh, grade school, uh, junior high, and in high school until I was uh, allowed to get a uh, parking permit and start driving. Yeah. And the riding the bus is almost like a completely different cultural experience. It's like a world, <laughs> a world in its own. I bet. Are you, Shirley, you're familiar with The Simpsons? Yes. Cartoon. One of my favorite characters. I don't think he's around on, on the later episodes, but remember Otto, mm-hmm. the bus driver? Yeah. With Bart, the bus yeah. Driver, yeah. So that, that uh, I had some autos <laughs> driving the bus when I was uh, growing up. But yeah, that's definitely a, a culture because what's unique in the um, public school that I went to, you had all the different age groups. Okay. Yeah. And because the school was so far away, you would have seventh graders along with 11th graders. <laughs> they didn't s- separate the, the bus routes. Oh, okay. So that, there's a big discrepancy between 
someone who's just old enough in seventh grade and eleventh grade, mm-hmm. especially with the uh, the males, the boys. Yeah, there's a big difference between a thirteen year old and a fifteen, sixteen year old. Yeah, definitely. So you, you know, if if a uh, sophomore or junior wanted your seat, guess what? <laughs> you, <laughs> you pretty much gave it up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But what in, in your growing up after you get out of high school, tell the audience a little a brief description of yourself. What did you do uh, after high school? You pick some of the highlights that, that we talked about before starting the show that you want to discuss. Well, I think from my earliest age, I mean, I was probably just old enough to walk. We were really involved with airplanes and flying and anything aviation that was a big part of it also motorcycles collector cars vintage cars uh, so that's kind of been my formative years now tell the audience a little bit you're around aviation yes but just being around aviation i mean you're a pilot correct you got your private pilot's license and you grew up uh, your father flew my father flew, his father flew, and I believe his father did as well. Well, what do you guys go back to Will and Orville, right? <laughs> Just about. Oh, goodness. Agreed. <laughs> Charles Lindbergh was like your. Right? Yeah. So. Um, they a lot of like uh, racing airplanes. Oh, okay. That's interesting. My my father was a pilot in World War II, yeah. and which, which is uh, very unusual. A lot of people. Back then, it was the Army Air Force. Yeah. They, they didn't separate. Army Air Corps. Yeah, Army Air Corps. And he was uh, stationed in Brazil, South oh, America. Yeah. And he flew in the Southern Hemisphere. So mm-hmm. there wasn't combat like the European theater yeah. or the Pacific, the various mm-hmm. island hoppings and the aircraft carrier. So he wasn't getting uh, shot at. But they did have concerns of long distances over the oceans and mm-hmm. engine out. Mm-hmm. Or if you had ditched a plane, yeah. you're, you're not coming back because no. you're in the middle. Freezing cold water. Yeah, exactly. But I had an aviation background as well growing up with my father. So ever since a little kid, flying with him. But mm-hmm. we had the smaller single engine, like yeah. the uh, Aranka Chief, the Luscom, uh, Cessna 140, 50, uh, the uh, Tri-Pacer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Piper. Piper. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, or especially when you were old enough to take the yoke and start flying, is, is most of your flying experience single engine? Yeah, most of my hours were in a tail dragger Cessna 170 Model B. I had an uncle who had a, what was it, a 310? Yeah, twin, twin. engine. Yeah. So I did get some time in that, but predominantly it was a single engine tail dragger. Now, when you mentioned the motorcycle background and cars, the audience doesn't know your skill set. Now, didn't you, not to embarrass you or anything, but didn't you work on restoration of? Yeah, I mean, I guess in, if we're speaking of the pinnacle, it would be we had several world's world's most beautiful custom awards and along that lines. Yeah, so you're kind of modest, but we're talking uh, Cocoa Beach type concourse, correct? High end uh, restoration cars, which are there's no question. Some of the cars that you mentioned to me, they, these are six, if not seven figure, yeah, cars, yeah, including uh, automobiles that you had worked on, featured in Gone in sixty seconds. 
Yeah, yeah. gone in 60 seconds. Had quite a bit of uh, experience with the motion picture industry, working behind the scenes and then transportation. And eventually, as the economy sort of tanked there in the, what, 2008 or so, mm-hmm. I got involved with prototype concept vehicles. So pre-production vehicles for the big manufacturers. And that was essentially their show cars, what they would take to the big auto shows. Right. Now, I remember back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they, a lot of the studios, they would uh, shave models, the clay models yeah. of the yeah, prototype concept cars. Because that was way before they had 3D CAD. Yeah. Five-axis printers and cutters. Were you ever involved in the forming of the automobiles with the, the clay. clay yeah we did use the clay yeah, uh, they neat. still use it but but it depends i mean obviously if it's a rapid prototyping situation they're going to go more that route but they want something that form and reshape and change so you might come out with one design or have the surface kind of roll this way but then eventually they want it to slightly peak or curve or turn or something so uh, a lot of times they like to still have that clay aspect to it. Interesting. And you have Hollywood, you mentioned some production work. So I know you've worked on some documentaries and you've done uh, many interviews. Yes. Because you've had the AC Hemi yes. uh, interview platform. Mm-hmm. And then what I've finds interesting is tell the audience what else you do well like i said uh, there in 2008 the economy sort of took a, a dive and at that time that's when i was working with the uh, large manufacturers and the independent design studios on transportation design so shortly after i think by about 2010 they started cutting the uh, r&d departments and weren't focusing on the show cars side of it or the extravagant vehicles as much. So I wound up involved with wholesale clothing, designing clothing and, you know. You're kind of the jack of all trades. (laughs) Yeah, master of none. (laughs) But so you, in your clothing, you still have these lines today. You actually uh, have designed a lot of the outfits. Yeah, there were times when I would actually design the cut and sew aspect. But as far as best sellers, you sort of look at what the client wants. And typically the most popular was the, what do they call it? Uh, The decorated apparel. So the ready to wear. Is it a large percentage, mostly female clothesline? Yeah, female clothing. Yeah, I'd say 90% 90% at least. So you've got an aviation background, then you have these extremely high-end uh, custom cars, show quality Pebble Beach cars, the Gone in 60 Seconds Hollywood, and then prototypes, major automobile, your typical of Ford, General Motors, Chrysler uh, type manufacturers, and then clothing. I think that's, that's fascinating because you're definitely broad-based with your skill set and the fact that you're able to move or adjust as need be. So you, you're right. You were kind when you said the, the slight downturn or hiccup in 2008. <laughs> I think it was a little more severe than that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and uh, it's still a matter of debate. 
whether I don't even think we ever pulled out of that 2008. I don't honest. think so. I think it's been propped up in a, a false manner. Yeah, paper, hiding papered it. over yeah. and printing and printing to oblivion. Correct. So basically in the 90s, you said you were, that's the time period you were in junior high school, high school. Yes. So you'd be the product of the younger years in the 80s. Yes. Growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, that brings, the, the 80s to me was a very interesting time period. That's the early 80s, MTV comes out. Yes. And you early 80s you start to have the commodore computer and yeah, apple yeah i had the amiga right and so uh, basic language mm-hmm. and the uh, cassette dos dos from, the cassette tape yeah the were, tape versions right. mm-hmm. well so, the big flop used it initially and then mm-hmm. it got you know smaller and smaller so the tape right so i kind of giving away our <laughs> our age, age right but <laughs> what i'd like to i always like to ask the Guests they have on the show. So let's say 90s, yes. junior, junior high schoolish, right, and beyond. What have you observed? What's your perception of changes in society? Well, to me, it seems like a lot of people are have a very short attention span, and that. What did you say? What do you mean? Oh, no, just, sorry. You know, that bad cross- joke. That's throwing a bad joke there. <laughs> that seems to cross over in all aspects of, of people's um, lifestyles. It's just everything is now, 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 me, me, me. And if you're not stimulated to this high level, you're not receiving massive amounts of dopamine increases, and people just move to a, a, a different subject or activity. Do you, do you think the fact that the attention span is much shorter, I've heard, it sounds like a, a good premise of a joke, but I don't think it's a joke. I've heard that the average attention span is similar to that of a goldfish. That's what I understand. Like a minute and a half. Yeah. And it's that's jaw-dropping to, to think of that. What's your observation Growing up in the 90s versus now, we had a longer attention span in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. Do you think the advent of Silicon Valley and the technologies? Because um, in the early, well, in the 80s and early 90s, the internet wasn't around. Yeah, essentially, we lived half of our lives in this analog world. Mm -hmm. And then we saw that development of the digital world come into play, at least in public. I mean, they've been working on that for decades, but we saw that change and we experienced life on both sides of that. So internet comes out, Mm -hmm. computers get more advanced, uh, they get less than, yeah, the AOL. (laughs) I always call that a American offline. (laughs) In fact, I think most people just glued the AOL DVDs onto their wall yes. as like decoration. Yeah, modern art. So, but as computers improve, mm-hmm. they get less expensive, more memory, faster processors, then more software becomes available. Then I remember the early stages of, remember chat rooms? Yeah, they do. They had chat rooms. Mm-hmm. I was in the music chat rooms. Okay. And then, as 
internet gets better, the, the baud rate, I guess, and the, the, yeah. the speeds, then more apps came out for uh, interaction, such as MySpace was one of the yeah the early social early networking. social network, mm -hmm. and then after that you had the early days of YouTube. But as that increase, if we roll the time clock back to 80s and 90s, I spent just growing up as, as a, a kid, I spent 99.99% .99 of my time outside. Yes. It doesn't matter if it was oh, I couldn't or cold. Wait I couldn't wait to get outside. Yeah. So I, well, you grew up in sunny Southern California. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid, I'd be uh, so fro. I'd take like three days for my fingers to thaw out because we we're having uh, snowball. But yeah. No, is that normal? Yeah, you know, it's blue, green, blue, the purple uh, fingers. But we're always outside. Every kid, when the street lights started to flicker and come on, those old sodium yes. street lights, mm -hmm. every kid just bolted because you had to be home before before that light came, light came on yeah. steady full time, and all the moms are out there waiting to make sure you're yeah. Well, today it'd take a act of Congress or dynamite to get kids to be outside on a sunny day. Yeah, that seems to be society as a whole. More and more, they're they have no interest in being outside, and, and if it is, it's. I, I think there's still sports which seems to occupy people's lives in such a manner where that's all how they live and adults are living vicariously through their children. But I think that's about the only time I see anyone, the, the younger uh, generation outside, but most are addicted to the silicone devices. Well, let's take sports. I think sports is, is one of the indicators that you can look how society has changed, mm -hmm. how sports have changed, and how coaching mm -hmm. and parents, the interaction has changed. So growing up in the 80s and 90s, that I didn't ask you, did you do any sports? Nothing organized. I mean, my cousins lived in the next town over, and we were pretty rowdy and playing tackle football and soccer and basketball, jungle ball, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. You know, we were pretty brutal, but <laughs> it wasn't like it was anything organized. Well, when I played uh, organized sports, the there was no such thing as participation trophy. Yeah. Uh, if you came in last place, you knew it. Yeah. And there wasn't any trophy you for that. to improve. <laughs> there was on the teams. <laughs> there was trophies for third, second, and first place. Yes. All the my growing up in the uh, 80s. Mm-hmm. What was interesting in the organized sports, the coaching staff, there'd be a lot of discipline. If you didn't execute, for example, a particular scrimmage, there was punishment involved, extra mm -hmm. drills, skating back and forth, push-ups on it. And it was, it was run like a military or a, a swat in the head, actual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... And parents, for the most part, basically had to keep quiet, perhaps watch from a distance. You never heard from a yeah. parent. During practice, uh, the coach and the assistant coaches, they were the authority. Right. They were the boss. You did as they said. And in high school, I remember f f football, we had summer days. It, it was terrible. To me, I'd call it like Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> but we'd have... 98 
degree, hot summer days, sun baking down on you, and we'd have two-a-day uh, practices, high school football. You have all that equipment on sweating, and then if a drill wasn't run properly or there's discipline, they would withhold water breaks until you got it right. Oh, wow. So you're looking at thing, you know, body temperature yeah. rising. Yeah. Uh, Passing out. Uh, yeah, it's a possibility. You fast forward to, to today, what would happen if any coach swatted? Let's go back to my <laughs> hockey example. They're on the ice and a kid gets a drill. What would happen today if, if a coach with his hockey glove on swatted a kid in the, in the head, hitting the helmet? What would happen? Well, the repercussions he would be facing would be immense. I mean, you'd have all these parents yelling down, yelling at him and you were kind of alluding to <clears throat> the everyone receiving a trophy type of mentality, but now you just have all these parents stepping in and they're that authority. So they're sitting there like, oh, we got to uh, initiate this and push for that. Right. And then don't they step into the role of handcuffing the coach and yeah. trying to micromanage the coach exactly. and, and don't touch Johnny like that? Mm -hmm. It's insane. So that's a a microcosm of society right? and the differences. And we're not talking that long ago. Really, if you think about it, yeah. 90s yeah. when you were mm -hmm. uh, growing up. So in your estimation, how would you rate society today? Would you say it's improving or getting weaker, well, there's more been bizarre? A, or what, would, what words would you use? A vast decline society, their morals and ethics. And like I mentioned earlier, it's that me, me, me mentality just has overrun society. Well, it's interesting. What term do we have today, which, which would never exist in the 80s or 90s, but we hear a lot today? I think a lot of uh, times people will go to that safe space. They, they need to have that little comfort zone and they're not used to dealing with adverse situations anything from that lack of patience i think leads into that there's no safe space when i grew up you know what safe space was <laughs> safe space was how fast could you run from the bully? yeah exactly and that's how you create your own safe space by yeah you, know, you either got into brawl or if there was more of them you ran you ran yeah and uh, some some of my best times in the hundred yard dash was uh, <laughs> trying to create, create my own yeah safe, safe space. space. Since you've had some contact and experience with Hollywood, for example, the changes in culture. What do you think? How has it manifest itself in the music industry, Hollywood, clothing? I'd be interested mm -hmm. to get your take on clothing. How has it changed? Music, Hollywood clothing from the 90s when you're in high school, your teenage years versus today. I think the most prevalent is a provocative manner. I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen is everything has been so much more sexualized. I mean, it had early beginnings decades beforehand, but it's just kind of got to that point where by the 90s, it wasn't so prevalent. And then I think where today, maybe going back 10, even maybe 20 years, it just, it was kind of a no holds barred, anything goes. What about music videos? You think they changed any 
Oh yeah, eighties and nineties to today. Completely. I mean, I've seen videos of uh, a guy humping a, a devil, which was pretty disturbing. And I try not to watch stuff like that, but you see a lot of this transhumanistic movement incorporating that digital life into the, the physical body and the physical mind. Well, I, I think today a, a lot of videos, if I happen to stumble across them, I need a translator because <laughs> I, I don't know what I just saw. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't figure out for the life of me where I need to probably grab a teenager and go, uh, could you do me a favor? In the <laughs> next two or three minutes, that. could you watch this video and please explain it to me? <laughs> I, I, I don't know at all what I just watched. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I mean, what I've seen is just kind of blown my mind. I've tried to shy away from it. It, it seems like the agendas being pushed through these media outlets have gotten to be more about control and uh, breaking down society and family units. Well, I, yeah, I think the the family has always been under attack. Because if you look at the TV shows, I got rid of my, one of the best decisions I ever made is I got rid of my TV in 1992. I remember it. Yeah, I was in early 90s or so when I stopped watching TV. Very clear when I got those way before flat screen TV. So it was the old uh, TV tube and I yeah. just pitched it in the dumpster at the apartment complex. Never looked back. But if you look at TV shows or say sitcoms. Mm-hmm from the 70s, 80s, 90s, up into whatever they have today, and uh, all the various streaming programs out there, you can see the slow creep of the 70s, 80s, 90s, through the decades, through today, where they've really shredded the family. Oh, yeah. And the, the nuclear family mm. is joked about, or I, I would say by Hollywood, probably despised. Yeah. It's and, not progressive. And hairstyles, clothing, as you mentioned, being more provocative. A trend I've, I've seen lately is like Pat on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> that skit. On, yeah. Mm -hmm. That androgynous. Androgynous Pat, because now they, there seems to be a push on clothing and hairstyles. Oh, yeah. Where and you don't know. Yeah, unisex. You don't know, is it a, uh, like a guy or a guy, girl, girl or uh, in, in, transition? And you, and, and you try to, maybe the corner of your eye, you're trying to watch, and if, if they go in the restroom, and then all of a sudden they go into one of the family restrooms. So yes. You, mm -hmm. you didn't know. And then I think it's a booming business for plumbers and sign businesses, because now it's probably illegal to just have a men or women's restroom. Yeah. You have to have, They've had to update plenty of the restrooms yeah yeah so what do you think's ultimately behind this presence that has changed society so much and, and we're referencing our age group so i'm the product of the 80s you're the product of the 90s that's when we were in high school mm -hmm. what's your view as far as what's ultimately behind globally pushing society towards either transhumanism or this 
unisex, androgynous gender, gender identity, and then all the al- different alphabets that are used. In mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think in a human aspect, it's definitely these corporatocracies, these transhumanistic movements. I mean, you've got these individuals that are propped up and made popular, like Elon Musk. Well, if you look at who his grandfather was in the 30s, he was a part of transhumanistic movement, mm-hmm. you know, pushing for that. And he, they even had a, an organization based upon like a social credit score. And this was back in the 30s. Uh-huh. So we're seeing these heads of corporation, they're sort of paving the way and, and making what's cool and the younger generation. And I mean, even the older generation are, are essentially falling for it, but they definitely target the youth. So would you think that, are you talking about the, the World Economic Forum type, the Klaus Schwab's, the Trilateral Commission, Council for Relations, Club of Rome? Yeah, I think they're they're Dave the group. Yeah, I think they're the ones disseminating the directive and the agendas. Now, do you think that there's an influence, uh, a consciousness, or or an energy that might even be behind that group? Oh, I definitely do. That to some of the listening audience might tend to get into the esoteric or woo-woo category, but maybe a, a non-human intelligence or oh, organization yeah. that's above the human one-tenth of 1% right. uh, controllers. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, that's kind of been my focus is understanding that this is taking place and opening other people's eyes to that perspective. And I think that entities you're speaking of developed this AI, which has been intrusive in all aspects of life. Right, because I think the majority of people greatly underestimate these supercomputers and AI. Oh, completely. And advanced, there's no, I don't, my, my scientific I mean, I background. I think they're already at a, the highest level operating in society and directing society's movements. I don't understand with my scientific background is, is more environmental science, chemistry, mm-hmm. working with ion plasma production, cold plasma, and, and technologies to address viruses, bacteria, mold, mildew, air and surface contaminants, right. but, but using mimicking, duplicating nature's genius. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to these advanced algorithms, right. that's way over my head. Yeah. And I don't think it, people realize how advanced they are as far as human predictability. Yeah. Oh, they're like in real time adjusting. They develop like these self-replicating algorithms, which build out more and and dissect this perspective. And and it's like a real time adjustment to society. So if society starts to stray from the direction they're pushing, these algorithms are adjusting and putting up another roadblock and another obstacle to kind of corral society in the direction they're looking for. So are, are you saying that if, as an example, last two years, if there were a particular narrative that was promoted worldwide, that scared the bejeebies out of a lot of people, yeah. 
completely restructured society and affected businesses, large and small, that it's possible these supercomputers or AIs could throw something in like, oh, I don't know, a random conflict in Eastern Europe to steer and direct people's consciousness Mm -hmm. like a magician would on a stage. Yeah, the sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, they're definitely at work. I mean, I think we'll see multiple developments along that lines. I mean, new variants, new strains. I know we've talked about the avian flus and swine flus and so on and so forth. So I think they're just kind of going to shift. And as people with their short attention spans kind of get bored of it, they'll change it and then incorporate another aspect and just keep moving along, pushing their agenda. Let me ask you this. If you you want to, I use the expression like Joe Sixpack. Right. So that's the average individual. And I don't mean it negative in one way or the other. It's just your rank and file average. The hard worker. Day-to-day. Yeah, maybe has has a family, has responsible holding down a job, trying to manage debt, raising a family, mix in some recreation. And the the average Joe six-pack. I don't even know how to ask this question. How would you begin to approach someone like that as far as, trying to help them see that there is a strong possibility that there's way more going on behind the scenes at a human level. How would you go about even having that conversation? Or what do you think the chances are, the percentage of any type of breakthrough or aha moment with this Joe Sixpack to wake them up to a possibility of how human society is being steered, maybe hijacked, whatever term you want to use, coerced, forced in particular directions at, at a high level, consciously and subconsciously. Any idea? I know it's a big question, but do you have any ideas? I'm an optimist typically, and I'm the type that has empathy towards others, and I, I look out for their well being. So when someone's suffering or being led down a path that's leading them into a destructive situation, I'm constantly looking for ways to kind of break through that and open up other people's minds. But like I said, being an optimist, it's gotten so bad, I don't think that society can turn. I think the masses are sort of stuck in this cycle already, and they're they're so well-programmed that you're not going to get any more than 2% or 5% to maybe open their mind to that. Well, it's interesting you said that. I I think from a scientific perspective that the technology is so advanced. I'll read grants yeah. and white papers, white research papers, papers yeah. and, and then some of the patent applications or patents that have been is- issued. <laughs> yeah. so, they're telling you everything they're doing. So I, I read the, these yes. and my jaw drops. Right. Well, first of all, it's difficult reading. Um even with my yeah, science background, yeah, I'll, I'll have to reread a white paper or a patent application, a grant, yes. maybe three times, mm-hmm. and look up many words in, right. in the dictionary. Yeah. Technology is extremely advanced. Everyone, including myself, has underestimated the extent of mind control Oh yeah, or how they're able to literally tap into the subconscious, mm-hmm. which means you you could control an entire global population at a subconscious level. They would never know it. Yeah. 
and then they seem to be in a trance or a zombie-like condition or a term of late uh, NPC, a non-playable character right. in, in a video game yeah. where they're just kind of background in the uh, machine language, high, highly detailed graphic computer, these NPCs. Yes. To break that programming, I don't know myself. I don't even know if I – how would we have the skill set to do that? I, I think you're being generous when you say – trying to reach 5% and shake them out of that trance and help them wake up mm. or see what we see. Yes. And because uh, what we see is a cause of alarm. Right. I'm very concerned with the nanotechnology oh, yeah. that they have. What scared me as a scientist is when I found out they broke the five nanometer barrier. Yeah, it's just gotten smaller if they, and smaller. Because when they broke that, that means they can breach the blood-brain barrier. That's game over. Yeah. Because if you can have nanotechnology... You plant that directly to the, the brain, like you said. And then you have uh, 5 and 6G that can interact, yeah. sending signals yeah. at that small... Transmission two-way. Two-way transmission. And I haven't even gotten into uh, 7G. Yeah. Which I... I you won't find much on the internet on 7G. What I have found has scared the bejeebies out of me. And I'm at a point now, AC, where I have hardly anyone to talk to. Right. I think what happens is I tend to be a killjoy. Yeah, Who's going to invite me over for a barbecue? Because what I talk about is either so depressing or scary. Yeah. They're like, uh, let's, not, let's not invite them. Right. They'd rather turn their head and... Put a blind eye to it. I've gotten so far in my research and understanding, it's difficult for me to fake and talk about the weather or sports oh, yeah. or, or who's dating who in Hollywood. I can't do it. I, I physically can't, can't do it anymore because my alarm social rate. Social pariah in a sense. Yeah, my alarm rate is in panic mode. Yeah. And I, I feel that it's too late to stop this transhumanism, Borg-like singularity agenda. Mm. We're talking billions, if not trillions of dollars invested in this in decades. Yeah. And as an independent research scientist, like I can make any dent in this, there's, there's no way. So how do I fake it at a barbecue? I can't. <laughs> right. Yeah, you just don't go. I've had experiences where in private conversations, I discuss concerns or I might share some of the readings of these white papers, patent application grants. Mm -hmm. And I can see... People eased over. Well, in a way, some people hang in there for a while, and then I see they start getting scared, and naturally they, they shut down. Right. So I can only get maybe 15-minute, 20 at the most, dosages at a time, and then I won't hear for the person for a month or so. Because, I've experienced that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So is there a way to reach Joe Sixpack and try to – raise awareness and the concerns or alarm. I, I'm beginning to think that. I don't think there really is a way. Yeah. I mean, these devices have become extensions of each and every one of us. I've got a cell phone and that's a highly advanced computer. And if I'm not utilizing that in one manner or another, I'll fall behind, be at work or, or any projects I'm involved with. Well, look, if, as you mentioned, these smart devices are, are so advanced and 
the powers to be have arranged society to where we're dependent mm -hmm. on this technology. Look at the panic when someone loses a phone. Oh yeah, yeah. Their whole life is on it, right? Pass passwords, access, and access to this to, and access to that, and uh, maybe photographs, right? Very important emotional photo. Everything's on, on that phone. So you take someone's phone, the panic is off the chart. If you ask someone, uh, you have two choices. Would you rather lose your phone or your wallet with all your credit cards and driver's <laughs> license? They'll say, oh, I'll lose my wallet any day. Yeah. The phone, I would. Yeah. So doesn't that show the social engineering and, and how? Oh, yeah. So what I wonder, AC, is how far along people like you and I in this transhuman process, and we don't want any part of it, but how far along are we? in this transhuman with, without our consent? Well, I see these devices eventually, you know, becoming an implanted device. And this is just a stepping stone. These devices that we have now, they got people addicted to it. And, it, and society's pushed itself in a corner where there's a certain level of you need this device. So they're going to incorporate that into various implants and so on and so forth and, and it'll just become the same situation where a person will have to have retinal scanners because everyone else is and you're not able to compete at the same level for in a work or any projects you've got going on society just keeps pushing forward for that well yeah you wouldn't be, be able to buy groceries yeah, unless yeah. you're accepting that you're going to have to hand put your hand over the device or the retinal scan or biometric scan of some sort. Because I, some of the research, and to a certain extent, I could be wrong. I think logically, you would have wearable devices, yeah. mm -hmm. which would replace the typical smartphone that has the outer box protective case in case you drop it. But yeah. it might be a a film that wraps around your wrist. Yeah, flexible. That's waterproof. Yeah, it's comfortable to wear. You could shower. Yeah. They would get people used to that touching their skin. But they can get to a point now where they can have uh, holographic yeah. tattoos. Mm -hmm. There's no needle involved, or any, but you'd be able to go to a box store or your regional, national pharmaceutical store. Yeah. You go up to the pharmacy department and it's it's done yeah. in 60 seconds, painless, right. and you have this holographic, and then that's your, it's on your skin, mm -hmm. it won't wash off, it wasn't painful, and that has all your biometrics, right. and there's no way you'd be able to start a, a remote uh, steering wheel that's like electric automobile or buying groceries or yeah, unless you have going to any public event, like if it's a movie or whatever it might be, unless that's on there and you wave it, right. you're not going anywhere. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think that's within 10 years if things continue the way they are. These advancements are just rapidly developing and I could see it easily 10 years. So I talk about a struggle, literally, for humanity, those that want to remain organic, mm -hmm. because I think we're heading into an organic, inorganic, hybrid Borg. Do you want to stay organic? Completely. I see that it's going to be one of the most powerful struggles in hum human history to remain organic. 
I agree. You and can I, see the agendas and narratives surmounting, just constantly building. And I think those that choose to remain organic will be persecuted. Yes. On a global basis. Mm -hmm. And I think if you choose to be organic, they, the powers that be, will make you pay where you're completely shut off from society. Yeah. There's no driving, yeah. no purchasing, no traveling, no healthcare, no banking, no access to any academia, nothing. You would literally be like off the reverted grid. Reverted back into the you know, 1600s or something. Off the grid, uh, stone age. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it might even go further back just because you're not going to be able to get any supplies to till your land or so you're going to have to get creative with you know chopping down trunks and shaping it to turn the soil or anything in that sense you're going to be like you said it's a, a primitive facet so even something like clothing yeah if you had an old school sewing machine just getting fabric and thread or zippers mm -hmm. would be on maybe the black market or have to be smuggled in yeah i don't think that's that far off and i the number of people that would want to remain organic, the pressure will be so great. I don't even think I, I could withstand that to where I would snap and, and give in. Mm. I've never gone without electricity, right. running water. Yes, I, I've never had to create my own material and sew my own clothing. Mm -hmm. So my skill set is like next to zero when it comes to that. What are my chances of surviving? Cobbler, you know, repairing shoes and... I think it's going to ultimately come down to a, a mental struggle, a mental battle where you, you're just going to have to accept these changes and, and push forward. Well, don't you think that eventually you get to a level where you leave the material world, the concept of materialism and branch into the unseen spiritual world? Well, I think ultimately that's our purpose here is for that spiritual growth and development. I think a physical man would be a, a human that has never broken out of the material world. Mm -hmm. it's, it's whatever they can touch, see, yes. feel, taste, right. hear. Yeah. The unseen doesn't exist to them. And, and the ability to... Not even comprehend They it. can't comprehend it. So to them... If they're in a the physical world, they're absolutely going to participate in the transhumanism. Yeah. They're going to do whatever the uh, social engineers, the system engineers tell them. Yeah, I mean, it. all of this is being sold in a positive light and sort of sugar-coated. So they're, they're seeing it as a, a benefit, as an improvement upon life. Well, sure. I think a lot of individuals will line up for a Star Trek-type future. Yeah. There's zero freedom in this where they're headed. No. As long as you're a good little boy doing what's expected of you, walking in line, then they'll give you your necessities and, and a few little luxuries. But as soon as you stray from that, you're going to slap your wrist and turn off power or turn off access to devices. And I mean, these devices are integrated into people's homes, their vehicles, just all manners of life, their bank accounts. So they definitely 
are holding that carrot in front of the, the people and they could lift it up at any time, take it away. So I think the science fiction premise of Skynet's already built. I do too. And it's up and running. Yes. And then the few of us that want to remain organic, we're going to be the renegade, the terrorists. Yeah. The outcast. Yeah. Simply because we want to remain natural, organic, and we'll be despised or maybe even hunted down. Yeah. Well, I think with the the financial sector, um, we're, we're seeing everything go towards digital currencies. And I feel that this, we'll just use that term Skynet, this AI intelligence has developed that. And that's also a means to sustain its existence. Because if its existence is placed in computer upon computer all throughout the world, then there's no way to shut this off. And I think it's already there. I do too. Yeah. Well, how much time do we have left, do you think, before we can get prepared, say, spiritually, mentally, the battle that's in our future right now to remain organic or to develop skill sets? Because if we do remain organic, life is going to be very difficult. Do we develop skills? Do we have time left to develop skill sets on sewing? cobbler or barter system or shouldn't we right now be finding like-minded communities to start networking and build those communities now because it's easier to survive if you're with 100 200 like-minded individuals yes than three or four yeah i mean my observations are showing that this is quickly coming upon us and you need to take action now i mean it's not like put it off and think about it. It's like, no, this needs to take place in your life now. You need to be making changes. Any stagnation is just going to bite you in the butt maybe six months or maybe three years down the road. It's kind of hard to say depending upon what skill sets you have and, and what you're developing. But it's it's a huge priority for me. I've made changes for that, placing myself with that community and developing each other's skill sets and and honing that. I think that's vital. 2008 was a very interesting marker. Mm -hmm. So were the events in 2001. Right. But 2008 for me is when I started in high gear, realizing there's not much time left. What do I need to do? Simplify my life. Yes. Get out of debt. That's a key. Develop skills. So I've been doing that high gear since 2008. I think September <laughs> of 2019, you and I have talked about that when that subprime right. hit at the midnight or one in the morning. And that was definitely the end of the financial system. And they've been basically printing or digitizing close to $800 billion a month since September 2019, I think for a lot of people, it might even be too late if they haven't already started. You're doing the walk as you talk because born and raised growing up in California, it took a lot. You actually moved out of California permanently. I did. And that was not an easy task. No, it wasn't. You're in your 40s. You spent 40 Yeah, my whole life, everyone I know, the people that I grew up with, family, friends, that was my life. And And to pick up and relocate, and you relocated 
strategically, yes, because of geology, which would be a whole other talk show episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, geology, uh, but also your finances, and then your skill sets, and then solar power backup and storable food. Mm-hmm. And not that this is a survivalist platform. There's hundreds upon thousands of shows for that, but you actually demonstrated took this very seriously. You're acting upon it. Not many people would be able to do it, but you've got a family to think about. Yes. I think I had spent several years previous to the move sharing my observations with those that I know and care about and love. And I felt that it came to the point where I couldn't just tell them I had to make the change and show like, look, this is how serious I am about this. I had to be the example and kind of set things in motion. Out of your your friends and families, all your close associates, your entire social life being in, in Southern California area, how many have followed in your footsteps? How many have you been able to reach and have moved out like you have? I got one person. One. One. Well, I think that says it all. And it's not a happy note either, is it? No, it's not. It's very sad. Well, AC, I'm glad that you showed up for episode two. My pleasure. And uh, it was nice having you. And I think the audience can appreciate your perspective, your demographics growing up in Southern California. They can probably surmise you're in your 40s based on graduating high school in the 90s. You're very interesting individual because you've had all this background and skill set. You're in clothing and pilot, and these high-end cars and your craftsmanship, working with your hands and your production mm-hmm. uh, ex- experience. Very well-rounded, but for you to leave that area and move to a certain part of the country where the culture is completely different, climate is different, oh, yeah. the economy is different, mm-hmm. but you thought long and hard, and, and it wasn't a random decision because there was a lot of detail that went into the strategy. When was that? Was it two and a half, th- three years ago? Yeah, somewhere right around there. Two and a half, th- three years ago, so that's fairly recent. And uh, it was just before the pandemic started. Yes. Yeah. Because you moved out just before yeah, right the before feathers hit the kicked off. Yeah, mm-hmm. kicked off. Yeah, I mean, basically... We've been secluded to this whole push. I mean, it was almost like nothing changed, really, Mm -hmm. as far as like the lockdown aspect of things. I mean, obviously, people's mental status has changed and how they're taking to it. It's infected all areas. But overall, I went from no lockdown to no lockdown. Yeah, well... There's a lot more that we can talk to in future episodes. So maybe if you're willing to have you come back. Yeah, that'd be and that'd we, be awesome. we can kind of uh, springboard off this episode and go into deeper about the field theory. Yes. The mental preparedness or the spiritual right. aspect. Mm-hmm. And how are you able to cope with so many friends and family members that are not acting as you have 
and maybe they're in a particular mindset to where you are and you want to reach them and help them, but it's a delicate balance. It's like walking on eggshells because you could endanger friendships and relationships or they never, if, yeah. if you're too overbearing mm -hmm. or too chicken little, the sky's falling yeah. or viewed as a strong conspiracy theorist. Right. I'm trying every day. I'm trying to figure out what that balance is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy. I, unfortunately, we don't have all the an answers in this podcast, but we're trying. Right. The best that we can. All right. Well, that'll do it for episode two. want to thank our guest, AC Hemi. It was a delight to have him on the show. And stay tuned for episode three.